Welcome to the Human Factors and Ergonomics Hub, a series of educational podcasts that showcase the connection between human capabilities and good work design. Brought to you by the Human Factors and Ergonomics Society of Australia. I don't know about you, but I love to drive. And what I like most about driving modern cars are the assisted driving features like reversing cameras, radar and blind spot alarms. They've made my driving much more relaxing and safer. The problem for me is that when I get back into a car without these features, I notice a significant change in my driving skills, particularly with reverse parking, sadly, and sometimes even lane changing in heavy traffic. Today, I'm chatting with Professor Michael Reagan about the human factors of automated and autonomous vehicles. Professor Michael Reagan, who likes to be called Mike, is an Emeritus Professor with the University of New South Wales, Sydney Research Centre for Integrated Transport Innovation, called R-City. Prior to that, he was the Professor of Human Factors with R-City, and before that, he was the Chief Scientist for Human Factors with the Australian Road Research Board. Mike has a Bachelor of Science degree in Psychology and Human Factors, and around 25 years' experience in transportation, human factors and road safety research and teaching in Australia, France and the US. In the media, we hear a lot about automated and autonomous vehicles. But what do we actually mean by automated and autonomous vehicles? And what is the difference, Mike? Well, that's a good question, Sharon, um, because there are lots of different definitions out there about uh, what automated and autonomous vehicles are. But essentially, automated vehicles are vehicles which use electronic or mechanical devices to replace some of the human driving functions and tasks that we you know, perform on a, on a day-to-day basis, and I'll mention those in a moment. Um, autonomous vehicles, on the other hand, are those which have the same electronic or mechanical devices, but and maybe some more, but they replace all human driving functions and tasks. So they can basically um, drive themselves, whereas automated vehicles are partially automated and hence they can't drive themselves all of the time. And I suppose the other thing about autonomous vehicles is that um, they're totally independent, uh, they're self-sufficient, and they don't need to cooperate with any other uh, vehicles or infrastructure um, to be able to move around. So that's the that's the fundamental difference between the two. In one, the vehicle's partially automated, and that's an automated vehicle. And in the other one, the autonomous vehicle, it's fully automated. So I'm wondering if we really need automated and autonomous vehicles. Oh, it's a good it's a good point. Um, just before I, I mention that, I was just going to mention that um, to get a sense for what is being automated, it's good to remind ourselves of what are these driving functions that these automated vehicles are automating. And um, there are are about a half a dozen of them. I won't go into detail, but each of these functions, as you'd realise as a driver yourself, involves many subtasks. So automated vehicles, and if they're fully autonomous, um, would be automating um, route finding, because you've got to find a route when you're driving a car. You've got to follow a route. Secondly, thirdly, you've got to control your velocity and your um, lateral position on the road. Um, You've got to avoid collisions, and we all know as drivers how complicated that is to avoid colliding with another car or another um, road user, you know, be it a pedestrian or a motorcyclist. 
you've got to comply with uh, traffic laws. So you've got to stop at red lights. You've got to obey speed signs. You've got to know that you can't park in particular places. And then finally, you've got to you've got to monitor your own vehicle. You've got to monitor your speed. You've got to monitor warnings that are shooting off within the car. So I just wanted to give you and, and the listeners a sense for just how complicated it is when you've got an automated vehicle uh, to build them because they've got to do all these things. And these are all things that, that humans actually do quite well. And we'll talk about that as we go on. But, but back to your question, um, which was about, you know, fundamentally, why would we want to automate, you know, vehicles? Um, well, there are several reasons. Um, and from a human perspective, um, there are important reasons. You know, one, one reason why you'd want to automate something or a task is when it's too dangerous for humans to perform. So, you know, in places like Ukraine at the moment, you've got, um, you know, robots going out there and looking for landmines because it's too dangerous for humans to do that. So you've, you can automate a task because it's too dangerous for humans to perform. You can also um, automate tasks when it's impossible for humans to perform them. Um, you know, someone who's severely disabled um, and can't use a conventional wheelchair might have a, a self, an almost self-driving wheelchair or one that can be operated with very minimal physical activity. Um, and so the wheelchair itself is automating the, the task of moving the human from place to place. Um, another reason why you want to automate is if tasks are difficult. So there are some um, um, uh, manoeuvres in aircraft, for example, that can become difficult, not because they're so difficult mentally, but because they're, they're monotonous to be able to perform repeatedly. And so you've got autopilots in aircraft to take control of the aircraft so the pilot's not having to sort of sit there continuously flying flying the plane. Probably two other reasons why you might want to automate. One would be to extend human capability. So, for example, we can't see around corners when we're driving cars, so there are now uh, sensors that are being developed that can see things that you can't see because you can't see through things. So radar, for example, um, on cars allows you to see through cars other things that are happening ahead of the vehicle. I suppose the last reason why you might automate is simply because you can, and this is probably a bit of a worry for us as human factors, people and engineers to start automating for automation's sake, um, even though there's no value or little value, you know, to the human user. But, you know, life has to go on and we have to make technical progress. And, 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 they're, and they're the reasons why I think um, we have automation and what has been driving automated cars and in terms of automated cars it's really probably to do with extending human capability and um, automating some tasks that are difficult and it is a difficult task every day to go out there and not um, you know have a collision with other road users. Gosh uh, it's important Mike to identify that we're not just talking about cars then we're also talking about other vehicles and you've mentioned aids for the disabled as well. That's exactly right. Um, but I suppose, you know, because I've been working in this area, looking at human interaction with automated vehicles, I've tended to sort of focus on that in this podcast. But, you know, please steer me in other directions as you as you see fit. I just thought I'd mention as part of answering your first question that 
there are different, um, I suppose you call them levels of automation. The Society of Automotive Engineers has uh, produced a, a table or a taxonomy, whatever you want to call it, um, which outlines five different uh, levels of automation that currently, well, some of which exist currently in some vehicles and some of which are over the horizon. And I thought I'd just mention those because your listeners increasingly, um, as vehicles become more automated, are going to hear these terms. And so so this, this sort of taxonomy of automation starts with level zero, which is no automation. And that, that would be the case for everyday cars uh, that are maybe at least 10 years old that have no bells and whistles, generally older cars. Um, and in those cars, the driver's totally in control. So probably a lot of those cars are still out there on our roads. Level one vehicles are described as vehicles providing driver assistance. Um, and driver assistance systems, which um, have sort of emerged in even less expensive cars, you know, in the last decade or so, include things like adaptive cruise control, um, lane keeping assist, even, you know, ordinary cruise control. And, and who's in, in control of, of the vehicle at level one? It's still the driver. And then we get to level two, which is what we call partial automation, which is what I was uh, talking about just earlier in the podcast. And um, from a, a manufacturer's point of view, level two um, is really just a combination of, 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 of two systems, two driver assist systems, adaptive cruise control and lane keeping assist. And um, you've probably heard about Teslas, you know, they're driving along on the freeway and um, you know, you, you press a button and uh, all of a sudden the car is um, staying in the lane by itself and if it comes up to a car that's travelling more slowly, it just sort of backs off and maintains, a, you know, a, a constant um, safe distance behind. And so that's what we call uh, level two automation. Uh, and that's out there. I've actually got it in my car. It's not, I don't have a, anything as fancy as a, a Tesla, but I've got that automation. And as someone who is a human factors person, I, I find it very interesting interacting with that uh, that degree of automation. And and again, I'm still in control, even though the, the vehicle can drive itself on the highway. Um, as far as this uh, taxonomy is concerned, I'm still in control. The driver is still in control. I've still got to make sure that the car's doing what the automation um uh, ought to be doing. I've got to be aware of situations as I'm driving along um, where I know the automation is going to um, is going to fail and it's going to tell me to take back control. So, so I know what's so I know what's going on. I'm still in control. I'm still you know monitoring what the automation is doing. Um, the next level is level three. They call this conditional automation, but the, you know the names aren't important. Um, but this is the next step um, from level two. Um, and there are no cars at the moment that are driving around on the road um, legally with level three automation. And level three means that the car can drive itself all of the time, but only in some limited traffic scenarios. So it might be that um, in addition to being able to stay within its lane, like the car I drive, and to... Um, you know, maintain a safe distance behind the road ahead. It could also change lanes. It could also, um, by itself, it could also exit the freeway. 
But then once it gets off the freeway, it might not be able to drive in, a, in an urban environment. And so uh, the vehicles, the driver is going to have to intervene if necessary to take back control. So, so this is a, uh, the next level of automation, I think, in our journey towards autonomous driving. Uh, there's only one car I'm aware of. I think it's the Audi A8 in Germany. Um, it can actually drive itself and you can take your hands off and you can read a book and do what you want but you have to take back control if it tells you. But it's not legal for it to operate at the moment. Then when you get to level four, this is what they call high automation. So here the, the car can basically drive itself all of the time um, in pretty much pretty much all traffic scenarios. And there are already vehicles out there um, that are driving at this level of automation. So it seems strange to say that level three isn't allowed at the moment. But level four vehicles are because they only drive for specific purposes. And, um, for example, uh, there are two companies, one's called Waymo and one's called uh, Cruise in the United States that operate these um, sort of, sort of they call them robo-taxis, I think, at level four. Uh, so with Waymo um, in Phoenix, Arizona, you can use your Waymo app to um, hail one of these cars, just like an Uber. It turns up, there's no driver in it, you hop inside, but it takes you on a predefined route uh, to where you want to go, but you can only go along selected routes. And so the car is very good at knowing from, you know, thousands of trips along that route um, what the hazards are and is capable of performing all of those functions we talked about earlier on that drivers have to um, perform. And then there's also an, another uh, level four truck that's operated by a company called Gatti. Um, in partnership with Walmart, Walmart over in the US, and, and this truck basically picks up and delivers uh, goods. Um, again, no driver, totally autonomous. Um, so, so that's about as far as we are at the moment. And then you've got this level five automation, which is the autonomous vehicle we talked about before, to fully autonomous. Um, um, these vehicles are sort of at a stage where um, they're being developed but there are no vehicles capable of driving everywhere at the moment, um, anywhere on the road, all of the time, hands off. And people often ask me, well, how long is it going to take until we get these level five vehicles out there and large numbers on the roads? If you ask 20 different people, you'll get 20 different answers. That's the issue at the moment. And as a human factors person, um, um, knowing all of the human um, tasks that these vehicles have to automate, all I can say is I, I suspect it'll be at least a decade or a decade and a half at least before we see these vehicles out there um, operating to totally autonomously. So that's just a bit of a guided tour of what's out there at the moment and when we can expect um, these so-called level five vehicles with full automation to be out there in the real world. So Mike, what are the benefits to society? Uh, that's a good question, Sharon. Um, there, there are actually quite a few. It depends, of course, on you know how successful these vehicles are in achieving their ultimate aim, which is to drive autonomously. But some of the benefits include um, improved safety, um, you know, by eliminating or, or reducing uh, crashes uh, between vehicles and other road users. We know that. There are lots of reasons why crashes occur, but some of those occur because people are, you know, distracted, inattentive, 
drunk, drugged. Um, you know, they simply, you know, make mistakes. Um, but we're prone to human errors. Um, not that the human errors are entirely our fault. Um, you know, bad system design can create errors that, that um, you know, cause us grief. Uh, but that's one. Um, predicted benefit, improved safety, improved mobility is another one. Um, these vehicles will be able to transport people who can't drive because they've currently got physical or cognitive or, or visual impairments. Um, as people get older, uh, they have to surrender their licences ultimately. And, um, uh, you know, if they can't move around, we know as a group of professionals who focus on, you know, the human condition that um, this can affect them very badly and um, they lose their independence and, it, you know, they, they can die from lack of connectivity. So improved mobility for those people is very important with these vehicles. Um, they say that there'll be reduced congestion um, because these vehicles ultimately um, will be able to drive more smoothly and, you know, more evenly spaced with other vehicles because of, you know, the radar and other systems they have in their, in the vehicle. And um, with reduced variability in speed comes less congest congestion. Um, improved productivity is, is another one. Um, it'll allow people to do work and other things in the car while the car's driving itself around while they're sitting there as a passenger. They can do anything now when they hop in the car. Um, and people have also said that there'll be reduced fuel consumption. So in future, uh, what we're likely to see is uh, trucks operating at um, uh, probably level four on the freeways. Um, there'll be a human driver driving the first truck, but all the other ones behind it will just be electronically connected to that vehicle. And um, you could have big, long road trains, just like real trains, um, where the truck each truck is sort of driving in the in the slipstream of the truck in front, and they found that in some studies that that reduces fuel consumption by about twenty percent in trucks by just doing that. So, so that's basically that's basically it. But for our purposes today, we're really probably more focused on the issues in, of improved safety and mobility for humans. So, I've talked about you know these uh, predicted benefits, but what are the actual benefits? And so. Uh, we know for, for Level 1 vehicles, and remember I, I said before earlier in the uh, podcast that Level 1 vehicles are vehicles um, that provide assistance, things like, you know, adaptive cruise control and lane-keeping assist. And I just wanted to give, you know, your listeners um, just a bit of a sense for what we actu actually know about the benefits of the systems that we have in vehicles at the moment. Um so for things like autonomous emergency braking, where the car will brake automatically if it senses that there's a pedestrian or another car ahead, that, that's, that results in about a 50% reduction in rear-end crashes. And this is all real data. You know, this is actual data from evaluation studies. We know that there are around 27% less pedestrian crashes when you've got autonomous emergency braking. So... You know, apart from talking about human issues today, from a safety perspective, it's good for people to know that this is one of the most important systems you can have in a car. So if you're going to buy a car, um, you know, please do ask whether it's got autonomous emergency braking and, and demand to have that system because it'll save other people's lives and probably yours. And then we've got things like lane departure warning that reduces by the, around 11% um, 
single vehicle and crashes and head-on collisions and sideswipe crashes and blind spot detection systems. We've got, you know, a little light that comes on on your rear vision mirror that tells you that there's something in your blind spot when you're about to change lanes. That results in a 14% reduction in lane change crashes. So I won't, um, I won't sort of, you know, talk any more about this, but I, I just wanted to, you know, convey to um, your listeners that these systems are out there. When you buy a, a new car these days, some of them are even mandated by um, what we call Australian design rules um, uh, to be in the cars, and they, and they save lives. Um, and, and a lot of human factors research has been done in developing these systems so that, you know, for example, the warnings come on at the appropriate time so that when the vehicles break in response to a, um, another car or a pedestrian, um, the car breaks in a way that doesn't um, scare the driver or startle the driver. There's an awful lot of human engineering that goes into the development of these systems, um, and they work. And so in terms of, um, you know, levels three and four and five vehicles, these are, you know, level three being the, the level at which the vehicle can drive itself for most of the time, but you've got to take back control when it tells you to. Um, we don't know for certain yet uh, for levels three, four and five what the, you know, actual safety benefits are because there are no level three vehicles, you know, legally operating on roads at the moment. Um, We've talked about level four trucks and uh, robo taxis, but they're only operating on some routes in the US. And we don't have enough of these vehicles operating in large enough numbers on, you know, all the different parts of the road network um, to actually know whether they're going to be as safe as human drivers, uh, let, let alone safer. And for level five vehicles, as I said, they're, they're pretty much at the conceptual stage at the moment. They're still being developed. So... So people can go on about all the, all the you know, potential benefits of all of these automated vehicles, but we really don't know. We don't have um, enough real-life data at the moment to know exactly how, um, you know, how safe they'll be. Um, I did want to say a couple of things, though, um, you know, from a human perspective about these predicted benefits for these you know, more automated vehicles at Level 3, 4 and 5. Um, one thing you, you're going to hear a lot, and you've probably heard it already, is that people will say, you know, human errors are a factor in at least 90% of, of crashes, um, and it is, um, at least in road transport and, and um, in um, you know, air transport. And so then people will say as a sort of corollary to that, that, um, uh, well, that means if you've got these autonomous vehicles, um, that's going to eliminate at least 90% of crashes because, you know, 90% of crashes involve human error as a factor. People like us in our profession question um, and should question, you know, assertions like that uh, because, you know, if, if, you, if you go with that, you know, flow of argument, it assumes that automated vehicle technologies are going to be error-free and that their decisions will be flawless. Uh, but we know for a fact there have been at least a couple of Tesla crashes um, that have occurred because uh, the Tesla found itself in a situation in, in which it hadn't predicted or no one had predicted it, it would be in, or because drivers uh, drove it, you know, outside its um, 
what they call operational design domain, which is, um, you know, the area in which it's capable of operating, um, you know, properly. Um, and so, you know, we've got humans programming these vehicles and humans themselves are prone to error. And so, you know, if you think about the whole chain of responsibility in developing these vehicles, that, and I'll talk a bit about that later in the podcast, um, there are humans at every level. And, um, and so, um, you know, the vehicles themselves, even if the technology is perfect, uh, may never be error-free. And then, you know, statements like, you know, 90% of crashes will be avoided because these vehicles will, um, you know, eliminate human error and assume that, um, you know, driverless vehicles are going to be capable of replicating, you know, the largely crash-free uh, performance of human drivers that we see out on the roads. Um, in, in fact, you know, even though the road toll is is unacceptably high, I think we are losing about 1,200 uh, people um, on our roads every year, and I think 20 to 30 times that more are seriously injured for life. So, so humans, from what I said, have developed incredible skill to be able to drive these vehicles extremely well for most of the time and safely. Um, so we know that it's going to be a big job for automated vehicles to be able to replicate that largely crash-free performance. And, um, and we know that, you know, in aviation, uh, humans, human pilots are very good at resolving ambiguities when things happen that the um, designers never expected to happen. Uh, it's ultimately the pilots who have to use their, their mental judgment and skills to be able to get the plane out of difficulties. One of the things that I find, you know, a bit unacceptable about saying that automated vehicles will, you know, eliminate all these 90% of errors is that a lot of the errors that um, occur out on the roads uh, are errors that are, uh, can be attributed to poor, poor design of the road transport system, you know, poor design of the, uh, of the vehicle, for example, um, you know, bad human machine interface design that's confusing and, um, you know, increases workload and uh, ultimately um, can induce errors. Um, you know, visual obstructions, you know, having pillars in vehicles that take up so much space that you, you've got no rear vision left, inadequate sight distances when you're out on roads and shrubs that are, you know, sitting there obscuring signage. So a lot of the errors that occur are what we call systemic errors, systemic design errors. And so, you know, autonomous vehicles aren't going to solve all of those. And then just just to say again, and I'm, I'm focusing on some of the human uh, issues here because they're important. I mean, that's what we're about in, in our profession, um, trying to understand at the moment. Um, you know, when people are driving vehicles manually, their decisions are often governed by their, their assumptions concerning um, how they expect other drivers to behave. And uh, as I said before, we cooperate with each other when we drive. And so, and we do that in different ways, you know, using hand signals and um, looking at the eyes of other road users, even though we don't realise we do that. We do it all the time. And so automated, autonomous vehicles are going to be able to sort of communicate with other vehicles and read the minds of other road users in the way that we do. That's especially important when we're starting to talk about communication between autonomous vehicles and, say, pedestrians. And 
of course, there are ethical issues around this as well. You know, will self-driving vehicles try to minimise injuries just to their occupants when they have a crash? Or are they going to try to minimise harm to all of the, the parties in a crash? Um, and if it's the former, then, you know, more people might get killed or injured. And so there are humans that are designing the algorithms for these vehicles that have to make decisions about how many people are going to be killed in what conditions when these vehicles um, get into situations like this. And these are very much human factors issues. We will continue our chat with Professor Reagan in part two of this series, where we will chat about the deployment of these vehicles and the critical human factors and ergonomic issues and challenges that need to be addressed. Thanks for joining us at the Human Factors and Ergonomics Hub, brought to you by the Human Factors and Ergonomics Society of Australia, where human-centred design really matters. If you like this podcast, make us your favourite in your podcast app. We look forward to chatting with you next time.